Hey friends, welcome back to The Catwalk. My name is Clark Cowden. I'm the host for this podcast, and I want to thank you for joining with me for this week's message. Today we are talking about revisionist history. When we get to chapter 6 in the book of Romans, Paul turns his sights on the history of the Jewish people and makes the argument that they have not understood their history correctly. They have thought that their religion was really about obeying the laws of God, when Paul makes the argument that it has always been about living by faith, and that what Jesus did when he came is that he actually recovered that original message that God wants all of us to live by faith, and that's how our salvation and our eternal life comes to us through our faith in Christ. I invite you to sit back and relax and reflect on this message on revisionist history. One of the ways that we understand who we are is by understanding our history. We look at the people and the events that have come before us, and we realize how they have shaped our world and our identity. But we sometimes don't get our history right, and it can lead us to faulty conclusions about ourselves and our world. One of the classic examples of this is called the myth of the lost cause. The myth of the lost cause developed in the South after they lost the Civil War back in the 1860s. The defeat of the Confederacy devastated many white Southerners economically, emotionally, and psychologically. Before the war, many proudly believed that their rich military tradition would help them win the war. Their defeat was crushing and hard to accept. So they came up with the myth of the lost cause, which said that the Civil War was really not about slavery. They said they fought the war to preserve the culture of honor and chivalry of the antebellum South. They framed the war as a defense of states' rights and as necessary to protect their agrarian economy. They portrayed slavery as more benevolent than cruel. Stories of happy slaves were often used as propaganda in an effort to defend slavery. The Lost Cause portrays slave owners as being kind to their slaves. They erected statues and monuments to honor those who fought for the South to preserve their way of life. They used the myth of the lost cause to justify producing movies and textbooks that glorified their way of life, that rationalized slavery, and that promoted Jim Crow laws that denied rights to black people for another century. Generations of school children were taught that slavery was a good thing 
and that black people were inferior to whites. The lost cause was used to support the existence and the actions of the Ku Klux Klan. It rationalized lynchings, beatings, torture, and the murder of black people. And it ingrained an attitude of white supremacy in the culture. They wanted to provide their children and future generations of white Southerners with a correct narrative of the war. But it wasn't correct. It was a lie. It was a form of revisionist history. When we get to chapter 4 in the book of Romans, Paul is asking if the Jewish people had gotten their history right. The Jewish people were proud of their heritage and admired their great father Abraham and the great King David. They looked back on the triumphs of their lives and the examples that they set and believed that they were carrying on their great legacy. But then Paul comes along and challenges this long-held belief. He suggests that they have engaged in their own revisionist history, that perhaps they have learned the wrong lessons from their past. When Jesus came along, he was strongly opposed by the religious leaders because he told them they had not understood the Bible correctly. They had misinterpreted what the scriptures said. Paul echoes the words of Jesus in this chapter when he talks about how they thought their religion was about obeying the law when it was really a story about living by faith. <clears throat> Paul talks about three things, the faith of our fathers, free forgiveness, and what this means for us today. <clears throat> First of all, Paul talks about the faith of our fathers. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 says this, What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this manner. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? That Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. <clears throat> However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Paul is writing this letter to the Romans to describe what the good news is to people. And he wants people to know that the good news was not a brand new invention of Jesus. It was historic and documented and traced all the way back to their beloved father, Abraham. The ideas of the good news are found in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Paul goes all the way back to the very first book in the Bible, Genesis 15, 6 
which says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The Jewish people had become quite legalistic. They'd become very focused on trying to obey all the laws of God as a way to get into heaven. But Paul goes all the way back before the law was introduced, before the Ten Commandments, and before Moses gave God's laws to the people. He said that in the beginning with Father Abraham, he lived by faith, not by the law. Abraham's example was simply that he believed God, and as a result, God gave him faith, and that we've always been called to live by faith. Because we can't be justified by our works, we have nothing to boast about. The wages we receive from God are not what we earn and not what we deserve. Paul says the wages we receive are part of God's free gift to us. And we receive them not by trying to be right all the time, but by living by faith and entrusting in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Secondly, to counter their revisionist history, Paul goes back to the great King David and talks about free forgiveness. Romans 4, 6 through 8, says David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. We could call Abraham Exhibit A in God's plan of worldwide salvation. We could call David Exhibit B, which is the free forgiveness from God. David did not earn his forgiveness through his works or by keeping God's laws or by trying to be so good. King David is an example of God giving up, giving us his righteousness apart from our works. Paul is showing that God's counting of Abraham's faith as righteous is equivalent to God's not counting David's sin against him. As great as King David was, he sinned against God. He disobeyed God. He committed some horrible crimes, but he was not forgiven by keeping the law. He was not restored to a right relationship with God through his good works. He was blessed when his transgressions were covered and no longer counted against him by a gracious God. The rest of chapter 4 answers the question, what does this mean for us? Romans 4, 16 to 25 says this, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring 
not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. <clears throat> he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. So what does this mean for us today? First, Paul is saying that this means our lives are dependent on God. What happens to us both in this life and the next life is more dependent on who God is than who we are. It is more dependent on God's good works than our good works. Secondly, in verse 17, Paul says that God gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. What this means for us today is that God can do what we think is impossible. God can change our life situations. He can alter our circumstances. And it is not dependent on whether we can perfectly keep his law or not. He does it because he loves us and he enjoys making things better. Are you facing a problem in your life that feels impossible? The Bible reminds us that the things that are impossible for us are possible with God. Thirdly, what this means for us today is that we now have hope. Because God can do the impossible, Abraham had hope when he normally would not have had any hope. Abraham had good reasons not to believe God's astonishing promise. His old age, his wife's old age, and her inability to have children. But Abraham put God's words as the reality above all the other realities of his life. Against all hope, he had hope, and God counted his faith to him as righteousness. 
The promises of God's inheritance to us are a gift. They are not what we have earned. It's like in my will. I'm going to leave whatever assets I have left to my two children. I am not doing this because they have earned it. I'm not doing this because they have done so many good works. I'm doing this simply because I love them and I want to bless their lives. If they do a bunch of bad works, I'm not going to change my mind. It might sadden me. It might discourage me. But I'm not going to change my mind. I love them and it will be my final gift to them. And Paul is saying that's how our inheritance works with God. God doesn't bless you because of your good works. He blesses you because he loves you. He loves you unconditionally, which means that you cannot lose his love. You can't lose his grace. You can't lose his mercy. You don't work for those things. You simply receive them with a humble and grateful heart. Fourthly, what this means for us today is that God has the power to do what he has promised. In verse 21, Paul says that Abraham is an example of this. We don't ever have to worry about whether God has the power to do something or not. You don't have to wonder if God can change your life. He can. You don't have to wonder if God can change other people's lives. He can. You don't have to wonder if God can change our nation or our world. He can. You don't have to wonder if God can solve seemingly unsolvable problems. He can. <clears throat> and it has nothing to do with whether we keep his law perfectly or not. In verses 24 and 25, Paul says that the greatest hope of all is that God raised Jesus from the dead. We have hope in today's messed up world because Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and then raised back to life again for our justification. And because of that, we know that anything can happen. God can fix any problem. He can change any situation. He can right any wrong. And it's not based on whether we can keep his law perfectly or not. Yes, God wants us to obey him. But we don't obey God in order to get him to save us. We obey God because he has already saved us. Today, we would say that people who believe in the myth of the lost cause in the South after the Civil War were wrong. They twisted the story, they changed some of the facts, and they left out some important truths, and they ended up with some revisionist history 
that really wasn't accurate. The tragedy is that in trying to heal after the war, they actually prevented healing from taking place. They postponed the healing and made it more difficult in the long run. That's why it's so important for us to get our history right. In a similar fashion, Paul was wanting to correct the revisionist history that had grown out of the Old Testament. The lessons of Abraham and David are not that we have to keep the law to please God. The lessons of Abraham and David are that God calls us to live by faith. Some people thought that Jesus was introducing heretical changes to their sacred laws, but he wasn't. Jesus was really just explaining the true meaning of their faith, rather than the revisionist history that many of the Jews had incorrectly believed. The good news of Christ had its roots in Abraham before the law, and it was lived out in the life of the great King David. Jesus and Paul reminded the people of the true faith of Abraham and the free forgiveness David experienced. This means that our lives are dependent on God. God can do the impossible. We now have hope and God can do what he promised. We live and are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we joyfully inherit the good gifts of God, not by keeping the law, but by living by faith. God bless. Stay safe. See you soon.